Welcome, everybody, to the Monthly Movie Dispatch, the show where we get together every month and we talk about movies we've seen, what we recommend, and what to avoid. What separates us from the other 100,000 other movie-related shows is that we're long-time high school friends. We've been discussing movies for, like, 15 years. We love talking film, and we'd be doing it even if no one was listening. So, uh, I'm Nick Moffat. I'm here today with Brandon Bowlby. How's it going? Uh, Derek Deal. Hello. And uh, Sean Bowlby. Hi. So what's happening, guys? How you doing? I'm like, I'm just pumped. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to talk about movies. I miss you guys. I miss the world. Uh, I miss going to the movies, but uh, I'm excited to talk about the movies today with you guys. I think it's pretty stacked yeah, today. For sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. We have yeah. a lot to talk about today. And this episode, we are continuing our trend of like quarantine time where we're going to be uh, going over each of us. Last week, picked, last month, each of us picked a movie and forced everyone to watch it. So we have four movies today. Each was a pick by someone else, and we all watched those movies. And uh, we're, we're going to do that different next month. Like, at the end of the show, I'll talk about uh, how we're doing next month a little bit different, but we're going to try to get back into more 2020 movies. Even though movies aren't really coming out yet in theaters, we're kind of evaluating where we're at, and we're thinking that there are enough 2020 movies to uh, go forward and bring back the 2020 thing. Uh, either way, um, I feel like we should just jump right into that. Um, 2020 recommendations. Um, I just have to say, off the bat, I feel like the, the biggest movie that came out um, this month in July was uh, the new Andy Samberg movie, Palm Springs. Um, Derek, do you want to like set the table with Palm Springs a little bit? Uh, sure. Do you want me to read a synopsis? Let's um, see. Give us I'll a synopsis. Yeah, sure. Yeah. All right. Palm Springs is <laughs> the shortest. Stuck in a time loop, two wedding guests develop a budding romance while living the same day over and over again. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's adding right. to the <laughs> the uh, Groundhog Day genre of of yes. films. Right. Subgenre. This is basically right. Groundhog Day, but uh, at a wedding in Palm Springs and yeah. uh, with Andy Samberg instead of Bill Murray. But uh, also he's there with someone else. And, yeah. Uh, like what what I think kind of makes the movie work really well is that it doesn't like these. Mo- this is kind of becoming its own like subgenre because there's a handful of movies that take this, you know. But it's like like Groundhog. I don't know if there's other ones before Groundhog Day, but I think Groundhog Day is kind of like the staple of like this is kind of like where the bar is. And so when someone comes out with a time loop movie, it's hard not to compare it to Groundhog Day. It's like the switching bodies, like parent trap, like subgenre. Like there's only there's only a few and they have to be compared to each other. Right, right. Mm-hmm. But um, but this one like is really smart in that I, th- I don't th- it uses like a lot of fun concepts in that time loop that we haven't seen before. Like um I mean in the description there like he accidentally pulls somebody else into the time loop. And and like mm. and that's what the movie's kind of about is her like unwillingly being trapped in this time loop with him and like you know, right. And I mean, I, I'm kind of hesitant to give too much away because, Sean, you haven't seen this yet, right? Yeah. Um, 
I misunderstood the assignment. Sean. And, uh, <laughs> Sean. <laughs> I was actually kind of planning on having Palm Springs, talking about Palm Springs for next month, but... Um, <laughs> It's like high school all over again. For you yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I, I unfortunately did not see it yet. Well, yeah, we I've can. Been, I've been out a lot. We can stay away from spoilers, but in all, I think it's it's really funny. It's really smart. Um, and yeah, like I love like Edge of Tomorrow. Hello? is another time loop movie and like still even between like groundhog day and Edge tomorrow i think this movie consistently all the time was finding new ways to keep the genre like fresh like just doing new things we haven't seen them do in something that seems like it would be so easy to just rehash you know old stuff so that's what i really really liked about it um i thought it was the ideal quarantine movie um, sorry uh, if you guys said this already. I I, no. I missed you guys for a little bit there, but um, I thought this movie like really uh, really captured. Uh, in I mean, in some ways, it was like representative of the time that every day is exactly the same. And uh, mm. I know a lot of people went through that or are still going through that with uh, with the coronavirus, and it just felt very very true to our time with um, every day being the same. But uh, I also like thought this movie was like super funny and, uh, you know, I f- kind of felt like, you know, the moral of it was like to uh, enjoy who you're spending your time with during the quarantine and also touched on the like, you know, bettering yourself kind of aspect of uh, every day being the same, where if you put work into something every day, you will get better at that thing over time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I thought this movie was just so great. I just thought it was so funny. I watched it by myself. And then uh, I a couple days later, I was like, Shen, you got to watch this movie. And we watched it together. <laughs> like, it's one of those movies where uh, it has tremendous rewatch value. Like, I saw mm. all these little details that I didn't notice the first time. Like, the continuity is totally on point in this movie. And uh, yeah, I just I just thought it was so great. There were so many little things that were just so funny. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm hesitant to say too much because I really think everyone should watch it. And like, Sean, I think you haven't seen it, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's really great. The, the only thing is it's on Hulu and I don't think you can get it anywhere else. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm really hoping it comes out on physical media someday. Um, just so I would love to have it on DVD or Blu-ray. Yeah. Um, mm. The rewatchability kind of reminds me of Andy Samberg's other movie, Popstar. I feel like you could nice. just like. I watched yeah. Pops, like literally I finished this movie, like I was just hanging out with Phoenix all night, one night, and I watched this movie, and then immediately I watched Popstar right after for the first time. Oh, <laughs> like nice. A double feature. Nick, you, so you were good. saying like yeah. how rewatchable this movie is, like I think that is really kind of the strongest aspect of this film. It's like such a completely delightful breeze of a film. Like it is just a really fun, easy watch, and I, it takes a lot of talent to put that together. And I think that was just like a really awesome aspect of this film. You can also, like you said, in its rewatchability with all the details, like you can tell they like tried so hard to put in all these little like ideas of creativity in the script of how things would actually play out in this like kind of sci-fi concept. And it was uh, great to see how smart they were with those little details. Um, and then just the, like one thing that really blew my mind that they put this in the film and it was kind of the most like abstract experimental part that really 
you know, made uh, what's the right? really artistic like part of the film was the scene with the uh, <laughs> with the scene with the dinosaurs. Um, it really reminded me of like the power of the scene in like the Last of Us video game with the giraffes at the zoo. I don't know if you remember mm. that, Derek. But it's oh, just yeah. like Boilers. this gorgeous moment. That's like the one scene. That's one of those scenes that's like I, I, I would hesitate to talk about that movie, that scene, because it's so <laughs> like it's so kind of special and unique. I would definitely <laughs> you yeah. kind of spoil that for Sean, don't you think? I thought about that for a second, but then it does, also well, doesn't have to do with anything. There's no context <laughs> to explain it unless you've and seen it. And there's no context <laughs> in the film either. Like it doesn't actually, you know, it doesn't actually spoil anything except for the fact that it's a scene in the film. Yeah. But yeah, maybe I shouldn't have said it. But um, anyways, that is a really interesting scene and it's really beautiful when it happens. Yeah. Yeah, I gave this movie four stars when I first watched it, and then I bumped up to four and a half after rewatching it because I just like just the details really came out the the texture of the film and just how thought out everything was. And it's like something special watching it the first time and not really knowing what's going on, and then being in on it the second time and seeing like what's happening at the beginning. It's just uh, yeah, it's just it's just a really great movie, and I, I've been recommending to everybody. So I just wanted to start off the show with Palm Springs because uh, how special that movie is. Yeah, um, we do have a lot to talk about today, so uh, you know, let's just jump right into Brandon's movie. Uh, Brandon, uh, your your pick was uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf? Classic. Yeah. Do you so want the, to the IMDb synopsis is yeah. IMDb summarize it is as a bitter aging couple. With the help of alcohol, with the help of alcohol, use their young house guests to feel anguish and emotional pain between each other over the course of a distressing night. Um, I saw this film after I saw a Broadway revival of it in like 2013 or something, um, and I heard that the film was an outstanding real adaptation of what I saw on stage, which blew me away. So I was super excited to see it, and like you kind of can't ask for any better of an adaptation than this. It is pretty shocking how incredible all the performances in the, in the remaking of this play actually um, is. So I want to say like, this is really like the play of all plays. Um, Like in the fact that it's like this simple set, it takes place mostly all in real time. There's no real time jumps. The characters are like, monologuing to the point of almost like non-realism, um, which you see all the time on stage. Um, you know, someone's like, someone's constantly pouring someone a drink uh, just to help mm. the staging and blocking of the set so it doesn't get boring. Like you see that in so many other plays and it's the same with Virginia Woolf throughout the whole thing. Um, people are screaming at each other for so long you wonder why they don't just like leave the scene. Um, these are all like staples of the stage, but like this, this uh, play, this movie, like does it so well, so beyond well. And back in the early '60s, um, it's uh, it's a good watch. Um, a couple things like I I really loved on this rewatch because it's the only second time I've seen it now is like these amazing details that are like sprinkled throughout. 
um, one like one thing is her like throwing the clothes under the bed as she's like trying to like spastically clean up the bedroom. Um, like I've never seen anyone do that, but it's just like it's such a great character <coughs> touch when she's like hiding the clothes under the bed or um, putting the plate in the dresser just because she like couldn't give a shit, but she also still wants to clean up. Um, the performances are incredible and everyone talks about the two leads, but one that stood out to me is the, um, the younger wife. Uh, I think she is like kind of the, um, unsung hero of this cast here. But when I looked it up, Sandy Dennis, Sandy Dennis. Yeah. Like she blew me away with, um, how great she was at just acting actually absolutely plastered the whole second half of this movie. Um, <laughs> but then I looked up on IMDb and she actually won best supporting actress. So that was, yeah, that's really, Oh good. wow. So her and Elizabeth Taylor won, um, the other lead. Mm. And then the two guys actually were just nominated, but didn't win. Um, hmm. so I thought that was the pretty whole cool. Cast that she got nominated. Yeah. Whole cast got nominated, <laughs> but I thought that was really wow. cool. Sandy Dennis, Dennis got, um, yeah. one as well. I, mm-hmm. I'm just looking at the IMDb. The entire cast is those four people and then Roadhouse Waitress, Roadhouse Manager. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. it. Yeah, true. Um, it's got some <laughs> so really great... Almost the entire cast. It's got some really great like lighting shots and camera movements that just like Dutch tilts and quick like dollies into people's faces. And it's like really well crafted in that way these long takes like especially the final like shot of them like sitting next to each other and it slowly going into her crying face as she's sobbing and like it's really beautiful stuff um and yeah it's a brilliant film i think i i'm curious on your guys's first watch because i also saw this um on stage before i saw the movie so i knew kind of what it was building up to um i'd like to hear kind of when you guys had a realization of what the twist kind of was or the final revelation. Did you have like big suspicions earlier on or um, at some point each of you can answer that, but just curious as like how that crept up throughout the movie or if it didn't mm-hmm. land until like really the final moment. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Nick, what'd you think? Um, man, this movie was, uh, it caught me by surprise for real. Um, you know, I, you hear about these movies sometimes and you wonder like how great could they be sometimes? Uh, and this was on my radar because it is on the AFI's hundred years, hundred movies list. And I've been slowly mm. working my way through that. I'm at 92 right now. So I only have eight nice. left before I get hundred percent on it. And so, uh, you know, I've been slowly working through it and sometimes you get to these movies and they kind of feel like homework movies. And mm. for whatever reason, I was imagining this being a homework movie where I was like, uh, how, how great is this going to be? It's going to be a, probably a drag, whatever, you know? And then I, <laughs> I, I, I kind of went through a bit of sleeping very poorly uh, this last month. And there was one night where I was like, you know what? I'm just going to turn on what's who's afraid of Virginia Woolf. And uh, maybe it'll make me tired and I'll go to sleep. And uh, I turned it on probably at I probably turned it on at 2 a.m. And uh, I got so sucked in. I was so enthralled by everything that was happening that I, I just watched the whole thing. I was up till four o'clock watching it. And then I think I just stayed up. I think I was just like my day. And, um, 
it was it was powerful, man. Like the perform. Yeah, everyone talks about the performances. It, it was holy moly. They were like they were just r- running wild. And uh, yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I I have your question stuck in my head right now about when did I notice? And you know, um, I I I probably I probably didn't put the pieces together until it actually went down, you know, Mm -hmm. until it actually got revealed maybe a little bit earlier, like when they're outside talking and he like, quote unquote, like got the telegram. Like it was like, wait, what? Like, honestly, again, like it was the middle of the night. And I, I, like I said, I was sucked in, I was enthralled, but still like, I was like, wait, did I miss something? Like, Mm -hmm. I was like, did I I don't remember them getting a telegram, you know? (laughs) And then it was like, Oh, okay. Like they're like, there there's something weird going on like there's certainly something weird going on mm-hmm. and um you know it's like i can't help but like feel so like bad for these people like the way they crafted their relationship was to me like it seemed very like real in a lot of ways like it was a perfect example of like a a toxic codependent relationship where these people are alcoholics and they they basically hate each other but they also are like so interconnected that they like I don't think they'll ever leave each other. Yeah. They're just this they're twisted they're loving way as well. Yeah. And um I mean, it didn't feel like there was a lot of love there, but like maybe it's just like so deep and you know. But yeah, I, I was I was blown away. I really enjoyed this movie. Um uh it was it was very powerful. I just wanted to say, Nick, uh yeah, it kind of reminded me of like Phantom Thread twisted love story type ending, kind of. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Were they like? I feel like Phantom Thread was a little more romantic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I don't know if that's the right word. But yeah, I mean, I think the love was like clearly there with Phantom Thread. But like, you know, maybe Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf is like twenty years later when they're they're they've been codependent for like years, and it's uh-huh. you know it's like they're stuck, but. Yeah. yeah, that's a good comparison. I see that for sure. What about uh, what about you guys? Uh, yeah, I mean, this movie was crazy. I think I kind of had a similar experience as you, Nick. Like, it totally took me by surprise. Like, hearing that it was like a play that was adapted into a movie, um, I was definitely also really skeptical. And then I was like looking, I was like, oh my God, it's over two hours long. Jesus. And, but yeah, I don't, it kind of, it felt like a, like an Aaron Sorkin movie. Like the dialogue is so sharp and like witty and like the comedy was so interesting and like, like when funny things would happen, it's like in ways I haven't really seen happen before. Because the movie's so much dialogue, it's like the comedy was like just in their interactions and how like chopped up their conversations were and like how they'd be jumping back and forth between like like the 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 husband, the older man. I'm not sure any of their names, like in character names, but um there's like a part early on where he's talking to the younger man. And he's like, like he keeps, they're basically having two conversations at like the speed of light at the same time. And he keeps like asking him a question 
in one conversation and then his next sentence is like back in the other conversation and the young guy's like trying to keep up with him like what he's like talking about what the question actually is and um and then the younger guy acknowledges how he's fucking with him right yeah yeah and then that's when he becomes proud of him for being able to keep up with yeah knowing that he's being fucked out it was like really really cool yeah, but it's it's that's part of what's so unsuspecting about the movie because they kind of set up these characters within the first like 10 minutes and they feel fairly traditional. But once the couple comes over and this game kind of begins, all of a sudden like you're kind of just whisked into this completely different like you you did not expect these characters that they just set up to act the way they are and yeah. um behave the way they do because it's also just so weird like i haven't I haven't <clears throat> seen those kind of characters really done before in this way um and that mm-hmm. was just really that's that's what really keeps you like just invested the whole time is just how um like unique like this it never takes an expected path throughout the whole movie yeah and, the characters just keep going further and further yeah and uh just egging each other yeah. on and yeah. pushing each other further and like seeing if like everyone anyone can keep up with how twisted they are right yeah, I mean, he's the, literally they literally think at one point he's about to blow somebody's head off but it's also just oh a my joke God. like and it's actually what ends up diffusing so the situation for the moment and bringing yeah. everyone back yeah. for another like 5 minutes until it explodes yeah. again mhm mm-hmm. it's yeah, I thought for sure that person's head was blowing up. I thought this movie oh was yeah, the me craziest too. twist. I was like, "Oh no, no, no!" And she's hilarious, yeah. hilarious. Yeah. Oh and then I, gosh. I yeah. think for me, like the twist in the end really didn't hit until like they revealed what was happening because I thought I kind of figured it was going in a way that maybe they had a child, but he's like either never going to talk to them ever again for some reason, or he did like die as like an older, you know, he moved that's away. What, that's what something. I thought. Yeah. I, I thought I had like figured out the movie at, at some point. Yeah. I thought like, yeah, like that they had a son, the son died and they like, it, and they kept talking about how it's, it's their son's birthday tomorrow and he's coming over for, Uh, to see them for his birthday. Um, Like, and I kind of thought maybe it was, maybe they did have a son and it was his birthday tomorrow, but he like died. And so like this whole toxic, uh, uh, you know, um, relationship that they have is like them coping with his death in really unhealthy ways. And, uh, and like how he keeps saying, don't bring him up, keeps telling her not to bring him up or not to talk about him and, and how he gets really upset when she does talk about him. And so, yeah, that's, I thought, I thought I'd figured out the movie and then, until the end. Of, and then it was like, it kind of was like you, you brought up Phantom Thread. It was just like, oh yeah, that's twisted. Is <laughs> I'm kind of curious, like, how far this, like, thing of theirs goes, like, past what we saw. Because, Mm -hmm. like, I almost, I don't remember the lines that gave me this impression, but I almost had the impression that he 
pretends to be her son on that birthday. Did anyone else get that at all? <laughs> or am I just no, crazy? No. I like almost that. I don't because like the way she acted was if was like with her her like breakdown after he says that he's dead seemed like there was even more of a physical connection in some way to what unless it's just completely just a hypothetical thing that she was so upset about but yeah i mean i'd be curious if you found that those dial pizza pieces of dialogue but yeah i didn't get that yeah i i thought that's mm, part of why he is so against talking about it is because there's also like another step of like embarrassment maybe or like something that he doesn't want anyone to know about because it's almost crosses the line into like a really weird territory you know I thought that uh, I thought he, they didn't. He told her not to talk about it because, like, that's something they've done before. Like, this isn't the first time they've gone down this rabbit hole of, of yeah. uh, you know, kind of this weird fantasy of them having a kid and like um, using this fake kid to get at each other. So. Um, yeah, that's what that's what I got. Uh, just that this is not the first time that they've done this. Yeah, see, I mean, so you don't think they like regularly pretend they have a kid? You think it's just in these social? Oh yeah, situations? I do. I do think oh, they do. I don't necessarily I think, think they the or like, but right, right, they do regular. Yeah. They do. Yeah, regularly I think pretend, they though. Oh okay, okay. Yeah, like in social situations, and like maybe even to like get at each other and playing this game. Like this isn't the first time they've played this twisted game before Um, but her reaction is definitely that because he is no longer gonna take part in that game right he's like shutting down that notion even on like a yeah okay i think it was like forcing her to come back to the reality of their relationship and their war like him ending that game was forcing them to come to terms with their relationship and this twisted like reality that they live in right. and because uh, it's like being able to yeah. pretend like probably helps her like kind of deal with things like she doesn't mm-hmm. have it's like easier to pretend that they have a kid than it is to face the fact that they're or it's just yeah i don't know I, th- I thought it was just like i don't even know if it's facing the fact of anything i think it was just like they they play the this game where they they I don't know make make this shit up to like get at each other and because I don't know it's just like this really toxic twisted relationship that they have. Yeah. I don't know, Sean. You're kind of you're kind of confusing me a little bit. You, I feel like I feel like they they made up the kid to uh, because they couldn't have kids themselves, so they were. Um, you know, there was the kid was like a connection of like having love in their life. They like pretended that they had this kid. And uh, mm. I feel like that's like I, I'm, I'm kind of with Derek, like Derek said that. And I'm kind of like, I mean, there's a reason why they celebrate his birthday. I think I think they were probably really going to celebrate his birthday and uh, have like a cake or something. Mm. I don't know. But like uh, I felt like there was more of a game with like the other couple where they were like interrogating them or maybe 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 there would be swinging going on or something and they were you know yeah. they're that was kind of to me more of the game but the the kid i thought was just like their deep-rooted like love somehow 
you you read that differently? What do you mean there? Yeah. Like that was them. Cause I also think there's a, uh, you know, something to read into about how often people in toxic relationships think that bringing a kid into it is going to fix things and they're, you know, I I thought that's kind of what it was Mm -hmm. too. Like maybe them making up a kid helps with their twisted, you know, their messed up relationship. Yeah. Somehow it helps it feel more believable to them. Yeah. I I mean, yeah, I don't know. Um, well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a crazy complicated like story. Yeah. There's a lot to dig in through these people. Yeah. I feel like it's one of those things where it's a, re- there's a reason why it's a classic, you know, it's, yeah. uh, there's a mm-hmm. lot that we could, uh, dig into and, uh, you know, sort through the different motivations of the characters and, you know, really like question and evaluate why they are the way that they are. I mean, the performances, the performances and the writing give you all of that. There's a lot to sort mm-hmm. through, but, mm-hmm. uh, we have three other yeah. movies that we need to spend time on. So, um, yeah. I do think we should move on for sure. But, uh, Brand, do you have any- I did want to say one, one more thing. Uh, just to how, uh, like how crazy it is that this movie came out in 19 or at least the play came out in 1962. I think this movie came out in 66 mm-hmm. and it's just like coming off of, out of the 1950s and like that classic Americana and like, you know, the white picket fence, the, the perfect suburban American blissful household. And then like this movie comes out and I, I can just imagine how shocking and subversive this, or, or, you know, the play came out first, but, but uh, you know, how crazy that would be for the like time a story and dialogue, this advanced, I mean, this twisted, this mm-hmm. like sexual, I mean, there's some like really modern concepts throughout this thing. And Mm -hmm, seeing that on stage in 62, um, people perform that. Yeah. Um, Yeah, just that blows my mind. Yeah. Don't you think that on some way, like, you guys all watch Mad Men, right? Like, yeah, I feel like. I haven't seen it, but. I mean, I feel like these things were going on in the 60s. Like, the, like this was made because these things are very real things. And it's. Oh, right. And this, I, you know, this I, is the start yeah. of that is all we're saying. Like this had yeah. to have been just yeah. right. Yeah. There. No, I think this is all very, this, these kinds of things were happening. I don't know if anyone was like talking about it and people were definitely not making movies. This about was it. the mm-hmm. type of art that was starting to talk about yeah. it in the very beginning of the sixties and the late fifties for sure. Yeah. Or, or at least not in the mainstream, you know, I, there's probably some movies I, I've never heard of or. I haven't seen yet that I, that do that, but I just I do think that there's like I mean I'm a big fan of Mad Men. I feel like Mad Men kind of like I could I could pull specific parts of this and apply them to Mad Men a little bit. Like I think Mad Men definitely mm-hmm. like was kind of pulling from this a little bit just with the toxic relationships during that time period. Yeah, um, the Swimmer too, or and even like Revolutionary Road. Oh yeah, is a similar similar thing. Um. Yeah, good pick, Brandon. I think that might be my favorite movie yep. you've picked so far. Did you say that last time? <gasps> Drama. Yeah, they're getting better. <laughs> I mean, I think I think it's definitely mine for sure, honestly. And I yeah. I would I would actually say this is like top one or two or three like adapted from stage movies that I've seen. Like, yeah, 
Like definitely top three. For yeah. Sure. Sure. Um, cool. Well, uh, if Brand, do you have any closing thoughts? No, that's it. Let's go to Thief. Cool. Well, Derek, let's move on to your movie. You picked uh, yes the uh, Michael Mann uh, classic, uh, Thief. Yes. I don't know if classic's the right word, but uh, anyway, set the table for, for Thief. Yeah, so the IMDb plot synopsis is coming closer to his dream of leading a normal life. A professional safecracker agrees to do a job for the mafia who has other plans for him. So it's a it's one of those traditional um, like heist movie type things where it's like the one last job Uh-oh. kind of movie from like. Um, yeah, I feel like that's kind of just a staple of this genre of crime movies. But um, I picked this movie because it was Michael Mann's first movie and he's been really influential uh, for me in my taste of movies um, like f- since I started really getting into movies. So uh, I thought it would be cool to go back and see this, you know, where he started and what he did and um, come to find out there's, this movie's been a really big inspiration for a lot of filmmakers that I really like. In a lot of movies that I really like. So I thought it would just be cool to see kind of like where that foundation, what it looks like and stuff. So um, what I thought about it, I think like, I don't know, like I was kind of felt, I kind of have mixed feelings about the movie as a whole. I I definitely liked it. I enjoyed it. Um, I like that he kind of twisted like a noir type story into this kind of action, um, like kind of an action, but also like a new, uh, I mean, when did this movie come out? I guess it's not new, but it has like a 91, let's see, 81, 81, so. 81, 81. Oh, 81. So it just kind of oh, wow. it felt like it had like a modern look to the noir, which there's like really some really cool shots of like, dark alleyways with like the rain coming down and like neon lights glimmering off the streets and stuff like that. This is visually has a cool look to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the story was like, I don't know. I mean, Nick's the noir guy. You probably know more about like how it fits, if it actually fits into that genre or not. But, um, I really like disliked the main character of this movie <laughs> pretty thoroughly throughout the movie. I was never really on, uh, his side just because he's kind of an asshole and he doesn't really have any redeeming qualities. I don't know. He's just like mean to everybody, but he's yeah. good at his job, I guess. Cheats on I'd his wife. That's his redeeming like that. quality. That's <laughs> how smart he is. I right. Guess. Yeah, that's, that's, that's about it. Right. And I don't know. Maybe that's a he's tough. I don't know if that's a common thing in noir movies. It's like it. A, it, it is a common thing in in. Like the thing with noir is that you often have these morally uh, compromised characters, and right. sometimes that means that they're just straight up bad guys, and you're yeah. following them because they're doing something interesting, or they're great at their job, or they're they're doing something um, in the at night, yeah. um, basically. But yeah. um, sometimes it sometimes I think I think usually it's like a guy who is who is not necessarily a bad guy, but he's got some he's kind of on the borderline and then he, he gets drawn in and he gets worse and worse. So, right. um, I think it could go either way, but, um, usually it's the latter that I just said, but this one, I think definitely, uh, yeah, I mean, it, 
I, I mean, I'm, I'm with, with what Brandon said. Like, to me, the most interesting parts were like him, like doing his job and being like sure. extremely good at it and going deeper and deeper, like not deeper and deeper, but like just like the details of him figuring it out and the process was like mm. super interesting. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I know like the big safe, safe, like the big, the big like climax, uh, like safe cracking scene, quote unquote, it was definitely something mm-hmm. I've never, I still, I've never seen even in like a movie after this do before. And I can't even explain exactly what it is that they did. Cause it was like the way, the way they filmed that they show you what's happening, but I don't really know the prop. Like they made some, like from what I got from it, they pretty much made like it's, a giant, like welder type thing. Right. Y- yeah. Giant, like, that requires multiple people to handle because it's so massive Uh and they just and it probably just burns super hot and it's able to quickly melt through you know steel and i don't know what whatever else they uh yeah yeah they had to get but that that was really cool that was just like a unique uh interesting way of you know with all the different heist and safe cracking movies they've seen. Like that's just a cool thing that I haven't mm-hmm. seen before. So, um, but I think cow kind of nailed it really good in his, uh, review on letterbox of it, which is this movie's very closely, um, well, or drive. One of my favorite movies is very closely inspired from like directly from this movie. And I think what I don't like about this movie is really exemplified in drive, which is they found a way to make a morally corrupt, like character um, feel good. Like for the view, like it, you're on board with mm-hmm. the bad things he's doing because he's not doing them for a selfish reason in drive. In this, he's completely selfish the whole time. He's doing it for himself. So I don't know. That's the difference, and I think that's that's like the thing that I think could have changed how I perceive him. But that's obviously not what they were going for. But uh, that's just yeah. kind of how I felt about it. I, think, I yeah, I agree um, with with what you said totally. I actually talked to Cal about his review off. Off, uh, off screen he actually he let me borrow his uh, blu-ray he had he had this on criterion collection and he hadn't actually seen it before until he found out that you were uh that you picked it he like mm-hmm. listened to our last episode and he was like oh perfect reason to watch thief now <laughs> so then he watched it and then he let me borrow and then i watched it and uh we talked about it at, at length and you know for me i had just watched another john carpenter movie and um I kind of feel like Michael Mann and John Carpenter do similar things. And Mm. I think I I really love both of them as filmmakers, but I think both of them like really make, uh, you know, um, like masculine movies and they like really, uh, they love like their, their manly men characters and putting them in, in tough situations. But, um, unlike another filmmaker Scorsese, like they both Michael Mann and, um, John Carpenter, I feel like they both kind of lean toward like taking the like awesome route or the like badass route or, right. you know, like, like, you know, like at the end yeah. of the day, we're still doing he something. He always cool. makes crime look really yeah. cool. Yeah. Whereas Scorsese is like, hey, we're making crime look cool, but we're also really going to show you how messed up it is. And uh, mm-hmm. I kind of felt like 
you know, the whole thing with this guy, you know, he, I, I, number one, I didn't really buy his relationship in this movie. It was like, Mm -hmm. it was kind of like, it was just felt really forced. I mean, it was forced. He like basically just like sprung it on her and she just agreed, I guess. But, um, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, like, I, I liked the idea of it though. Like I liked the idea of him being like, Hey, I want to have this, this great life. I want to have this life. Can you, can you help me get there? And I, I, I liked that part of it, but then I felt like at the end of the day, like the movie decided to take like a, like an awesome route instead of an emotional route, like to the ending. Right. Like they, yeah, yeah instead yeah, of like, sure. instead of giving you like a emotional feeling about their relationship or about what he's doing, it was like, he kind of fell backward to who he used to be. And then, just had like a pretty awesome ending and it, I mean, it was pretty awesome. Mm. It was filmed really, really cool. But you did kind of say it, Nick, but yeah, I did like how he was kind of just like, do you want to fake this with me? And she was just like, yeah, I'm down. Just like how honest they were both about how quick and let's just dive in. And if shit goes wrong, you can just walk away kind of thing. Um, I just thought it was interesting, but, uh, the, it's cool, Sean, you picked the, the Kubrick movie last month um, from mm-hmm. diff- earlier yeah, decade. Actually, yeah. We get these very genre heist oh, movies uh-huh. from very different time periods um, mm-hmm. and also both in the past. Mm-hmm. Like it's crazy. This was 1981. It just looks so modern and like clean. Um, yeah. I, I really liked the movie. Um, and it's cool seeing like inspiration in other films. Like it's the ending reminded me so much of You Were Never Really Here with Joaquin Phoenix and the like mm. badass raid on the house and just like getting shit done at the end. Mm. Um, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I think there's just like a lot of influence from I thought, like, Michael Mann, even in a lot of today's One stuff. thing I wanted to point out to you guys, uh, did you, I don't know if you guys noticed like, th- so that, that whole ending scene where he's going through the house, it's just dead silent, like no music, not, not even footsteps, nothing. You can't hear anything. And then there's like this shot where he's like in maybe the foyer or something. And, and, uh, he's like looking around the corner and there's this big grandfather clock right next to him. And like, I kind of saw that and I was expecting to hear like a ticking sound or something, but even the, the pendulum on the clock wasn't moving (laughs) to keep it silent. (laughs) I don't know if that was yeah, like intentional like super, or super like pin drop intense. Yeah. Um, I got yeah. pretty into that final scene. Um, mm-hmm. And also with the relationship, like I liked how like twisted and dark it got like to the point where they were like illegally buying an adopted child just from some random woman <laughs> off the <laughs> black market. Like that was super fucked up. Surprised the movie went there. Yeah. Um, but I guess that's Michael Mann's style. Like he, he gets gritty with that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. and you, you brought it up before me, Nick, but I had it written out cause, but I want to highlight again, the, like the mechanics of the heist was just so cool to mm-hmm. see. They spent so much time showing that welder, like busting through that metal. And then mm-hmm. they had that like opposing super underexposed shot. So you could actually see the orange yeah. of the melting metal without it being um, blown up and they would yeah. cut between the two. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, so, like there was people doing that and they were just showing them do it. 
and the yeah. uh, fire extinguishers. And even and like stuff. the details, yeah, like the details of them having on those those like leather giant leather suits, and then the guy with the fire extinguisher, because obviously you'd need a fire extinguisher in there. And and even before that, when they're they're going through all the like phone lines and like trying to pick out which ones are. The security lines, mm. or the you know, are going to notify authorities, and, and yeah, just a lot of great like detail. Use it, yeah, using the like amp meter or something to, to detect which one, and like all of this is done visually, uh, which I think he did. Like even in the the opening heist scene, like there's so much that he does visually. He he throws you into these these heist scenes like with no context. And uh, <clears throat> and no like dialogue or, or exposition to tell you what's going on and what they're even after. And like, yeah, there's just so much visual. Uh, there's so much um, uh, put onto the visuals, uh, so much for the visuals to carry in those scenes um, to make them work. And even like when when he goes in, in the opening scene, when he like goes into this to the, he breaks into the safe with, uh, with that big industrial drill, yeah. magnetic drill thing. And then like he gets in there and he like starts opening drawers and it's like these drawers full of like gold and diamond oh, rings. And he just tosses right. it. So aggressive. Pulls out another too. drawer full of like, <laughs> yeah. And he just tosses it. Nope. That's not what I, I know. Ex I, I'm here for one fucking yeah. thing. Anything that isn't that is a waste is a complete waste of time. So like these, yeah. you know, thousand dollar, $10,000 rings or whatever he was pulling out waste of time. Totally. He's going for that with this one specific. And, and like, that's the kind of detail that like, that really works in this movie. And then also like in heat, which I just recently watched, uh, for the first time. Um, he, he, he does very similar things. Um, I also, really love the di the way that he does dialogue uh in the way that the actors perform in those dialogue scenes like um it's it's like he, so he he shoots everything in like these these uh medium shots but he never cuts away to anything that anyone is doing or even when like uh, the waitress comes in to talk to them or like, or I'm thinking, oh, like doesn't I, I cut to first the noticed waitress, it in like that, like it on the actors. Yeah. Like the, talking. yeah. The, even like, so uh, the, the restaurant scene when, when the, um, uh, when Frank and Jesse are the, 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 uh, romantic, uh, set are, t are talking in the restaurant and yeah, the waitress comes over and she starts, she takes their order or whatever, never cut to her. They're like doing all these things on the table, picking up things and like, you know, moving things around They never cut to anything that they're doing, but they like play within that, that frame really well. And they like fill the frame with their bodies and the way that they gesture. And, and I don't know, like things that they're doing with their hands come in and out of frame I don't know. I, I just thought it was a really cool uh, way to shoot those scenes, um, and it was just yeah, it was it was really really slick is the the way I w the word I would use um, for for that kind of style. Yeah, I didn't notice too much of that, but I uh, that's cool you picked up on it. Mm. Um, I I just wanted to uh, say how cool is it uh, seeing Willie Nelson. Yeah, that was fun. Mm. Yeah, such a cool role. Love Willie. Yeah. Watch character. That was cool. 
the guy in yeah. the prison, oh. the, the the mentor father yeah. figure. Yeah. That was the one thing that that did kind of redeem, not maybe not redeem him, but kind of humanized him. Right. Is you did get the sense, like when he was trying to adopt the kid, like legitimately, uh. He, he did mention that he had come from like maybe the foster right. system and like how, you know, you kind of got the sense that maybe that is what broke him. And, he actually had a motivation and, uh, to do something good or that's what he was trying to do is to actually maybe yeah. change one kid's yeah. life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Derek, have you seen uh, Manhunter? I haven't. I it's want the movie to. that Michael Mann made after this one, and yeah. it's uh, it's a, hmm. uh, it's this, it's the Red Dragon story. So it's uh, in right. the Hannibal Lecter universe, what? but it's mm-hmm. yeah. It's, so I mean, yeah. it's like yeah. I mean, so like there's there's Sounds of the Lambs and Hannibal and Red Dragon with Anthony Hopkins, but then Michael Mann did Manhunter like years before Sounds of the Lambs, and yeah. um, I felt like that captured the neon noir a little bit better than this did um mm. like just the neon part i guess um that's right. like, so cool to hear like, i had no idea michael mann directed a red dragon adaptation yeah you should check wow. it out it's really good i mean it's it's less about um hannibal than it is and more about the the detective so it's more of like okay. the cro- the crime movie um right. Then and Hannibal's just like he kind of goes and talks to him a few times, mm. but um, As in there's with there's most Hannibal movies, <laughs> yeah, but um, not Hannibal. <laughs> That's more like what the show is about. The Hannibal show is mm. all about the detective, but I mean, um, Hannibal's on it. Yeah. Um. Anyway, do you have a yeah. uh, Derek? Uh, any any closing thoughts? Um. Anything else we uh. No, I'm just I'm I'm glad we got to watch it. I'm glad that Sean's getting introduced to some Michael Mann stuff. And yeah, he's just where would you put this? Like with his other movies? Like where would you, like? Um, I mean, it's probably my least favorite that I've seen of his so far. Um, but that's not saying like a lot. Like I really like everything I've seen that he's made. I haven't seen his like. Movies he's made in the last ten years, I've heard they haven't. Yeah, been his quite new one good, was supposed to be terrible. I'm sure you wouldn't have. Yeah, you would have liked that worse. Yeah, but like, yeah, I'd, but you know, I'm thinking of like like Collateral and Ali and Heat and stuff. Like these are all like incredible, incredible movies. And so Thief isn't incredible, I don't think, but it's a really, really like great movie, and it's a good starting point. Like it's a, it's cool to mm-hmm. see like how strong his like. You know, foundations where he yeah. just started it's making. It's cool. You keep doing these picks. What he just first um, um, Catherine Bigelow and all these other ones you've done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Derek. And I really even like uh, I've I've been talking to Ray and Jasmine. They're they're going through uh, Miami Vice, mm. and they are they say it's really good. I don't know, has anyone seen Miami yeah, Vice? Like the Michael Mann movie, the show. The show? I've seen the movie. Yeah, yeah. the show. I think the sh- Michael Mann did the show too. He is too, involved right? in the show. He's like a pro- he didn't like direct it. But he was. Mm. I thought he was kind of the showrunner. Oh yeah, he's the executive guy. producer of it. Mm. So, yeah, probably the showrunner. I don't know what they called it back then. And writer. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Um, for sure. 
Well, Derek, great pick. Um, yeah, I, I love that you take these chances of like, hey, we're all interested in this this filmmaker, but we haven't. None of us have seen this movie, so I mean, it's a great yeah. opportunity to watch some of these older movies. Yeah. Um, so, thank you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, um, I guess we'll move on to my movie next. Um, I picked a movie called The Swimmer. The Swimmer came out in 1968, uh, directed by Frank Perry and his stars Burt Lancaster. Um, I just I gotta say the tagline, guys. <laughs> when you talk about the swimmer, will you talk about yourself? <laughs> So the, the plot description from Letterboxd says, Nettie Merle has been away for most of the summer. He reappears at a friend's pool. As they talk, someone notices that there are pools spanning the entire valley. He decides to jog from pool to pool to swim the whole valley. As he stops in each pool, his interactions tell his life story. Um, What's the swim so called, I mean, Nick? What was that? What's the swim called in the movie? Never mind. Does I thought you were have, big enough fan to know. <laughs> yeah, I forget what he calls it. It's and he just keeps saying gonna play on his name or something. He keeps saying, I'm gonna swim home. But, right, he uh, he names it some creative name that's he says a million yeah, times. But yeah. Keep going. Well, um I'm blanking on that detail, I'm sorry. But um yeah, no, I uh this movie though, um I don't know. I feel like this movie is an experience in some ways it's uh, super absurd and uh, ridiculous right off the get-go I mean he basically the the plot summarizes it like he comes basically out of the woods and the movie starts of him just <laughs> swimming in this pool and he gets out of the pool and he's greeted by these like friends and they're like Nettie we haven't seen you in so long where have you been he's like oh I've been away I've been busy whatever uh, and they kind of start talking he starts flirting with them and everyone's having a good time and he's flirting with the women and then he kind of uh, yeah the, he kind of just looks at the valley and he kind of has this realization of I can do this I can swim home and they're like why would you do that and he's like oh, it'll be great it, why why won't I do it it'll be wonderful and so he just takes off and he goes to the next pool and he swims in that pool and then he interacts with those people and then he uh, goes a little further jumps to the next pool and it's like that's that's the whole movie is him like going from pool to pool and swimming and just interacting with these different people and uh it starts out so funny. Like it's such an absurd movie. It's, mm -hmm. it's like a satire in some ways, but it's, he's, he's, uh, it starts out almost dreamlike. And it's, it's like, it's funny. It's like, are these people for real? What's happening? Is he for real? What's going on? And the, the, the lighting is like sparkly and it's got this big orchestra music that like chugs it along. And, uh, as the movie goes along, there's, there's this, there's this tone of, uh, you know, something's something's wrong here. Something's not right. There's it's very ominous, and it kind of picks up with every house he goes to, and uh, it, his journey becomes worse and worse, and uh, he starts getting beaten down. And you know, there there's a scene early on where he's he's racing a horse across a field, and it's very <laughs> hilarious. Like it's like it's like he's racing a horse. It's like exciting and hilarious. And then uh, you contrast that with towards the end of his journey when he's like. Trying trying to cross a highway and he's like shivering and he's like trying to not get hit by a car and he's, uh, you know, yeah. kind of a wreck. Yeah. And, um, 
And then even like with the horse, he we, he was like uh, doing that horse jumping like uh, obstacle oh, course yeah. thing with the girl in like slow motion. And then he like jumps over it in, in like super slow motion, then comes down and lands and injures his his foot somehow. And like for the rest of the movie, he's he's, he's kind of has a limp. He really stuck. To yeah, that. He, yeah, he was. Uh huh. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I mean, I think this movie is like something special. You know, I think that Burt Lancaster is such a strong presence on screen that like he he owns this this role like this absurd role where he's like a wealthy man who uh is going on this quest to swim home like <laughs> it he makes it believable in this in this absurd world but um you know it's 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 like kind of like a heart heart of darkness kind of type story where he's going further into like his psyche and you start to tell that something something is wrong yeah. in his life and he's basically having a mental breakdown and um you know uh I think there's a lot to uh, to analyze with this movie. I think there's like you could uh, you could you know pull out certain threads and kind of you know what what's the filmmaker trying to say with this. But um, you know, uh, I, I think it's also like super stylized and you know a part of this too is I like, uh, like it's a movie that most people haven't seen and uh, it's really funny and I you know I just I, I I'm really curious what you guys think because this is. Uh, it's a little different. So, um, I don't know. Derek, what do you think? Nick, I loved it. It was All such right. a weird, yeah, it was so weird. It was just, again, like these older movies continue to surprise me, but like, I just never gave them the credit that they deserve for just being like, like what movies we look up, we look at as classics, like back then, a lot of t- times seem to be like these weird experimental, like, things like this movie is just so bizarre and yet i can i can think of so many movies that they might not have been directly inspired by it but there's like it you know it deals with as he's moving across the valley like different sections of like class and um their depictions of him and like how they see him and how our view of him changes you know as he's moving through these pools and kind of like i don't know kind of section each each pool kind of tells its own little story Mm -hmm. (laughs) sort of weird way to tell the story but it really does and um you know it just made me think of of movies like (laughs) it's a weird comparison but like snowpiercer (laughs) like movies that that as it's like literally someone traveling Uh from point to point and at each stopping point there's some sort of message about class in some way it not always like overt Mm. and like in your face but it's like subtly kind of uh telling a story you know throughout the movie about that and um yeah maybe heart of darkness i don't know if that's like a if there's like a if that's like a book or i've heard that term before it is a a book book. okay so i don't know if it's kind of the same (laughs) It's the book that uh, Apocalypse Now is based oh, on. Oh, okay. But yeah, also Apocalypse Now applies. Oh, really? Oh, it's, I haven't it's seen like, Apocalypse and, Now. So. Yeah. What I meant was just like that journey into that journey into darkness, like where right. like you're on this mm-hmm. track, but like it's getting like it's getting worse and worse psychologically and physically as you as you go further along. Right. Well, and that's also what was really interesting about the movie is as it goes on, you're 
you're realizing that this is like a a psychological thing that's kind of unfolding in front of you because you don't realize that he's like I mean you think he's kind of eccentric at the beginning but a mostly normal guy that just really likes swimming he's really into fitness or something you know but as it goes on you start to realize he's like this delusional guy that's like kind of crazy because there's been some sort of trauma uh, and the way he like deals with people like starts to it feel like I don't know how much he changes throughout the movie but you start to realize different things about him as it goes on because I'm just thinking about like the girl that he must have had like some prior relationship with this kind of towards the end that he's like almost like forcing himself on in the pool and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like he's not really treating her much differently than he treated anybody else throughout the movie. But by the time you get mm-hmm. there, you start to realize that these people that are further away from that house, all the way at the top of the hill where all the rich people were very happy to be around it. By the time he gets down here, these people have a very different view of him and the way he acts towards people. And who he is just in general, you know, and, uh, yeah, Slowly I don't know. spirals out of control as, uh, it goes house well, to yeah. house. And by the time he gets to the public pool, it's like everyone there hates him, you know, and he's not, he's mm-hmm. not at someone's private pool anymore. He's at the one, you know, these people can't afford their own pool. And now you're in like the, you know, the lowest class that's represented in the movie and they all hate him. So clearly he has like a, you know, he has a past that has affected these people and everybody has an opinion. And um, yeah, it's just an interesting way to tell that character mm-hmm. story is through mm-hmm. <laughs> like pools, you know, it's, it's weird, but it's like, it's cool. And they do it really well. Like they nailed it the whole way. And I think that's what makes this movie like really memorable and um, so unique, you know, yeah, it's just such a tricky taking, way to tell that story. They're taking they that super common journey and boiling it down to this, like the most simple concept of pool hopping home. Right. And yeah, like each pool is its individual scene. Like you said, I like by the second pool, I kind of noticed that was the direction it was going and it didn't really stop. Like he meets a whole new cast of characters. You see a whole new part about his life and who he is. And then he just moves on to the next. And it's like a really experimental way and simplistic way to tell that kind of common of a storyline. You, Nick, you also kind of said this too. I had it written down, but um, man, fans of finding metaphors and symbolism in film would definitely eat this (laughs) up. And I'm sure the writer of this film could go on about each scene and what it meant, like means to him and what he was trying to represent within each pool that he was at. Um, you know, I'm not a personal fan and digging too deep into that, but I'm, yeah, I can see why you really you, like that part of it, Nick, mind, as well. You mind if I give it a yeah, shot, Brandon? You, you got all your theories, so uh, when it's your turn, to you break can down theory all the away, pools. Sean. <laughs> no. I mean, I guess yeah, I, I just I don't have kinda, much else. Go, <clears throat> go for it. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't have like a too too crazy of a theory of. Uh, an interpretation of the movie, but it's, I, I just like the idea of how 
this is like a guy who's like really good looking and he's like really charming and he's like so nice to everyone that he, he, um, you know, especially like that first scene, everyone likes him. He likes everyone. He's flirting with the, the women. They, they like, or are at least receptive of the flirting. And, um, <clears throat> you know, as he kind of moves on from, from pool to pool, he like, it's kind of revealed how his whole life he has kind of indulged in this, this kind of uh, almost absurd lifestyle of like weird adventures and like, like fake interactions and, um, and kind of, I guess, phoniness uh, with other people. And like, especially, I think it was the second house or, or maybe the third house that he goes to, he like goes around and says hi to everyone. He's like, Oh yeah, we'll meet up mm-hmm. next week. Hey, Hey, how's it going? Oh, you, you give me a call and we'll set up a lunch. And, and you know, it's just like with everyone, it was just like these, these fake phony interactions. And, um, and then the way he interacts with the women throughout the film, it like, it, it's almost you you know you kind of get the sense of this this persona of the way he sees himself as like um someone who can do all these things and get away with it um but then as the movie goes on you really start to see that this guy is is a terrible person and like <clears throat> especially with the the young girl um that he kind of picks up and and takes along um, I thought that was a really good uh, kind of um, metaphor for how young people can get swept up in these in, in this type of personality and like how she was enthralled by him and she she was really into um, the kind of person that he was portraying and, you know, kind of had a, a huge crush on him. But then, like, as the movie goes on, she starts to realize he's just a really big creep and he's a terrible person and he's he's just taking advantage of this, like, of this situation that that um, she is in. And, um, and so, you know, then she runs away. And then, like, yeah, as he keeps going on, it's just pulling back the layers and, like, revealing that oh this guy is actually kind of just a really selfish piece of shit guy who just takes advantage of of uh the people around him and uses Builds up them a tab at and, the local bar yeah and never pays off yeah yeah and like mm-hmm. uh-huh and and um yeah and just like as you go on in life and it's almost kind of like a metaphor for like as you go on in life you can you can like have this persona uh, for a short period of time, but eventually that's going to catch up to you. People are going to realize that you aren't that kind of person. You're, you know, that you take advantage of people and you don't, you know, um, and then it, yeah, like by the end, he's just like, his life is, is kind of ruined and, or, or like the audience realizes that his, this life or this persona that he's been portraying is an absolute sham. And like his wife has left it, left him. His daughters are, you know, aren't the, the people that he thinks they are. And they, and, um, yeah, his life is kind of, so anyways, I thought that was a, that was a really clever, um, 
kind of uh, progression of the movie. And I, th- I actually think it's even a really modern statement that the movie is, is making. And even that tagline, what, what, what was it? It was, uh, um, did you write it? No, down? I said it. it's um, uh, when you talk about the swimmer, will you talk about yourself? Yeah. Like, I feel like that, um, you know, post me too is like a really powerful statement. Um, and, uh, yeah, (laughs) I think that's a really modern idea and, and, uh, thing that this movie was trying to, to say. Um, but yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, like I think Derek, you said, this movie doesn't really have an arc. Like there's not really a character arc to speak of. There's not really any kind of story arc, but the arc of the movie is the arc of the audience and the audiences, the audience coming to understand who this Mm -hmm. person is. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting, the reveal, the reveal is pretty tragic and big. I, I, yeah, like just like Virginia Woolf, I watch these movies, you know, mm-hmm. like very close together. And mm-hmm. the reveal at the end is just a really cool twist, I guess. And you're constantly learning more and more information about it until just the final scene, like in both films. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you keep like waiting, like what's what's going to happen at when he gets to his house? What's, the kid's what's really playing tennis. Like he keeps saying yeah. that, but there's no mm-hmm. way. Like he's going crazy. And then you're like, yeah, he's right. definitely going mm-hmm. crazy. But how, yeah. how crazy actually yeah. is it? And the house is in shambles. Yeah. And it's like, holy fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, good, good movie. There is a, I mentioned it earlier, there, there actually is an episode of Mad Men that's called uh, The Swimmer Man. And it's it's mm-hmm. kind of like directly inspired by this movie where Don mm-hmm. Draper's swimming. I mean, he's just doing laps at a pool, but he's swimming. But he's kind of uh, while he's doing that, he's confronting different things that have happened in his past. And you know, that's more about. I mean, I, I think the show Mad Men is a, you know it's clearly about Don Draper, but it's like whether or not Don Draper can can change and can he be like a worthwhile person for the world and. Um, you know, this movie, I think, yeah, I think Sean, you like really hit the, I think you really nailed it with like this movie is like Burt Lancaster's character could be anybody. We don't really know that much about him except that he's charismatic and charming and he has, he supposedly has money, but, um, such a fun, goofy smile. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like I keep thinking about like, you know, uh, you know, if, if sleeping around, uh, if sleeping around, uh, made you sick, then, you know, uh, that wouldn't be good for you. I'd be in a wheelchair. Yeah, and he's like, oh yeah, I'd be in a wheelchair. He like, it has that smile. Oh, yeah. That would be good for me. You know, and it's like, he's just so charismatic, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it just, it, it strips it all away. And mm-hmm. you really mm-hmm. go on the journey. 99.99.99% of all organic materials. Yeah. yeah. Oh, is that, that was from this movie? So you're quoting when you, I didn't yeah. know what you're talking about. Oh, did you miss that There's line? some guy talking so about that. I, I just didn't remember. Just they that. say it like three times over yeah. and over again. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, they asked him why he never got a pool. And it was like, it was part of that part where was, he was admiring someone's pool. Yeah, it's got the state of the art, uh, whatever. Filtration. Filtration system. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you guys liked it. I was, uh, I figured Derek would like it. I kind of figured I was hoping Sean would like it. I really, Brandon was the one where I was like, is he going to think this is funny? Is he going to like, is he just going to hate this experience? So, um, 
Yeah, not at all. Um, it was but, really good. Um, cool. Well, let's move on to the our final movie. Uh, Sean, uh, what was your pick? Um, I picked uh, Yojimbo, um, Akira Kurosawa's Yojimbo. Um, the, uh, let's see, plot summer, did my, where, where am I here? The, okay, so IMDb plot summary is a crafty ronin comes to, uh, to a town divided by two criminal gangs and decides to play them against each other <clears throat> to free the town. Um, it's directed by Akira Kurosawa, uh, starring Toshiro Mifune and Ejiro Tono. <laughs> Ooh, that was probably bad. Uh, uh, but yeah. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, again, I guess I picked this movie uh, not only because I really love the movie, um, but also it's a you know, uh, a very influential and important movie for cinema. Um, it, it, uh, really kind of changed the, the landscape of cinema in American cinema and world cinema, um, uh, afterwards. And this is kind of the pivotal movie that, that, uh, inspired the kind of, um, the Western genre to take on a more serious tone and a more dark and nihilistic, uh, um, tone and, and really brought the, um, the anti-hero into the Western genre. Um, I believe actually Nick, the, the anti-hero is, had, had always kind of been a trope of the noir genre for, since like the forties. Um, is that, is that correct? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. The noirs were, were around in the forties. Yeah. That was like the big thing yeah. with noir was when it was like kind of highlighting some uh, people that are not yeah morally compromised and it had more of a nihilistic like mm-hmm. outlook on the world. The movies mm-hmm. were usually ending on like you know sad notes or like just bleak bleakness. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, so uh, um, yeah, I guess this is a movie brought it into the Western genre or, or the, and the samurai genre. Um, and yeah, this is the movie that kind of kicked off Sergio Leone's career, uh, because he, he did made a fistful full of dollars, um, as well as Clint Eastwood's career, um, with the a fistful of dollars, which is a, a ripoff of this movie, a, I don't know what you would call it. It's, it's the, an adaptation, except for it's this, it it is this movie. It's exactly, almost exactly this movie. They don't credit the movie really. uh, Beat for beat. Um, I don't think they, uh, they credited this movie. But it's it's really obvious. I feel like that's the difference between like Um, an adaptation and uh, like a ripoff maybe. I don't know if that's, I don't know if I would use the word ripoff. Actually, I also haven't seen A Fistful of Dollars, but uh, like. Mm. uh, Yeah, so how many of you have seen Fistful of no. Dollars? No. No? Oh, okay. Cool. I, actually, that's really great because they're the exact same movie. And mm. um, <laughs> uh, I also liked A Fistful of Dollars, but it's it was, I believe it was Sergio Leone's first film and it's Clint Eastwood's first film, first uh, lead, leading role. Yeah. So it's not quite as good. This is like, this is like a kind of peak um, Akira Kurosawa. So he's like, spot on uh, to share Mifune is, is great. Um, but yeah, um, I guess like 
there's just I don't even know where to start with how much I love this movie. <laughs> um, like the story is just is so good and it's simple but um, really interesting and uh, and engaging. Um, the main character is so awesome mm-hmm. and cool and uh, badass, but like you know, totally has that. I don't want to say he has the Clint Eastwood vibe, but like, you know, Clint Eastwood's uh, man with no name is is based on this character. And, and they totally have that like stoic, like just with a look or, you know, just by moving his shoulders can convey so much. He gave Clint Eastwood um, his vibe. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, and like the look of this movie is so great. Um, it really did bring like that classic western look into the samurai um genre and um but like also pushed it forward with a with a more wide and broad um aspect ratio and and um um yeah just a a bigger more cinematic feel to it i think um it's uh yeah cinematography is is really fantastic with like the you know, that particular shots of those, the two big groups of people slowly moving in on each other. And like, there's so many great shots in this movie. Um, I loved how like the, the main character, um, Tashira Mifune is a, a big question mark throughout the whole movie. You're not really sure what his motivations are or what his plan is or what he's even trying to accomplish in this town. And, um, until like the end of the movie, which, you know, kind of, you know, you're, you're left, uh, really questioning whether or not, you know, his actions were justified or, you know, um, and like, I also just love the action of this movie, like how quick and precise and, and, and deadly the, the action Mm -hmm. is like in the movie and like how, how quickly Toshiro Mifune moves and like just takes people out and then just like, you know, pulls back, um, and yeah, it's just, uh, it's, I also really liked how funny the movie was. Like I think it had a really great sense of humor, um, with its characters and like the, the big kind of buffoon character, um, (laughs) that was just a big doofus, uh, was really funny. And like, I I liked how the movie kind of picked on him. The unibrow, um, and then like the, <laughs> yeah, the unibrow guy. I was just thinking that exactly uh, right in my head. The unibrow. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it wasn't just a unibrow; the, it the, connected uh, to his sideburns as well. <laughs> it went all the way across. <laughs> it went all the way across his head. <laughs> yeah, and then like uh, yeah, the the restaurant owner and the the comedy between him and the the casket maker and. Um, yeah, it's just I, I just love this movie. I'm I'm really excited to see what you guys thought of it because I haven't I haven't seen any reviews or or any ratings from. Oh, you I guys, felt I when you guys didn't review Curls last, <laughs> last month, but you I felt like you were just reading what I typed, Sean, because now I'm just going to be restating everything. <laughs> oh, I did. Um, 
no, it's uh, not your not your fault. But the yeah, this story was more playful than I thought. Like the the comedy was it was like super had this light comedic tone. It was like the unibrow guy, the way like the story ended up developing with uh, the lead just kind of playing with these two sides. Like it wasn't all that um, like dark or serious for a while. Um, but then also like pretty early on, you get these brutal like samurai fight sequences, which are just like so snappy mm-hmm. and quick. Like I guess that's how you hear samurais are supposed to fight. Um, just attack and mm-hmm. then sheathe their sword and they're done. Their opponent's dead. And um, mm-hmm. the, yeah, the, like that first, that first the fight three people, left it's just brutal. And it's like in the middle of this kind yeah. of like, you know, fun, jolly opening. Um, so mm-hmm. the, yeah, the contrast was pretty interesting with that. Um, and I also liked how the story kept developing. Like you think he's going to just stick with one side and you feel like you knew what the story was going to be about these two gangs. But then all of a sudden he like climbs up on this tower and just sits there smirking as these two gangs like, move back and forth and are too afraid to kill each other. Um, and the story mm-hmm. from there just like keeps developing in like a unique and fun way that I wasn't expecting. Um, I haven't really seen a story of just like this overconfident guy just playing with these two like dumb um, villain sides. And then there was one aspect of the film. Uh, we don't have to go too deep into it, but I was, I am curious as to why the town was like simplified so drastically to like, maybe this is just like the comedy aspect and it doesn't have to be that real um, to this hyper unrealistic, like gang battle between these two houses, which are literally just across the street from each other. Like they could just walk up and throw a match on the, the house at night and everyone would die. Like, um, which I guess they eventually end up realizing they can do and they burn it down in the end. But um, it's this like super unrealistic town of just these two gangs where they all live in the same house right next door to each other and decide to fight in the streets every once in a while. Um, I wonder why they went with that, that like setting of these two gangs um, as opposed to something more complex. Um, I mean, I, I didn't, I never really thought about that. Um, but I, I think it is a bigger town than, than you are thinking it is. Like, I didn't think they're right uh, across the street from each not, other. But like, that's kind of, I didn't think they're right yeah. across the street, but like maybe like, yeah. maybe like around the corner, a few blocks down. Well, you see the hill. They both bit. come out of the house. They're like main house. Yeah. They're like on the same street, but they're not. They're at opposite ends of, like right a, of a yeah, main street. Like opposite ends. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, close enough. But I, I do think, like, you know, you can't because they, the other side has hired a bunch of guys who are going to prevent you from doing that. And if you do that to them, then they're going to retaliate and they're going to come over and burn down your, your um, place, your brothel, and then um, you're going to have to eventually fight in the street. So it's like kind of like a cold war uh, thing a little bit where they like they could yeah. attack each other anytime or do sneak attacks during the night. But uh, they're really mm-hmm. just kind of waiting for each other to make a move, they're both which is why uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why he's able to come and in. They're just and hiring these. Sort through. Yeah. Play both sides. And, um, go ahead, Nick. Oh, I. 
I was just going to say, like, Sean, I, I every Kira Kurosawa film that I've seen, you were speaking to how playful and funny this is. Every Kurosawa film I've seen, I am surprised. I'm always surprised at how, how funny his movies are. Like, his characters yeah. are always mm-hmm. so, like, developed. And then they they always come across with these little funny things. It's like he's so good at creating these real people and real people are funny. You know, it's like like Mm -hmm. like the guy with the unibrow. It's like they're all all the people in the town are fleshed out. And because of that, there are funny interactions that naturally happen. You know, it's. He's mm-hmm. so good at that. And I like uh, the, you know, for me with Kurosawa, it's just like every Kurosawa film feels like a classic. Like and I know some of them are, you know, bona fide classics and, you know, they, they are classics. But like it's just like a blueprint of how films are supposed to be. And uh, and not like in a bare bones type of way of like, you know, plot point A, plot point B. No, it's like like the plot is there and we've seen that plot structure in other movies after, you know, years and years and years. But um, also how fleshed out and interesting everything is inside of it. Everything is so textured and so many so much detail with all the characters and everything that's happening. And um yeah, it just, it just, he's the best, you know, it just, it just, he's just the mm-hmm. best. Um, you know, I'm curious where you, you would put this one in your rankings for Kurosawa. Uh, um, I th- think I have this at three or four. Okay. Cause I had it a little bit lower and not, and I don't even, okay. I don't even necessarily have a reason why I just, I had it number six out of nine. No. So, oh, okay. Yeah, I have it at four. Okay. But um, I don't know. I feel like his top movies are just like they're all classics. They're all like wonderful uh, examples of perfect filmmaking. I, I, I did rate this mm-hmm. one. I gave it four and a half on Letterboxd. So, um, you know, I, I thought oh, it was okay. I thought it was great. I'm really glad that you've picked multiple Kurosawa movies because I don't know when I would have like ventured into his filmography. But like both these movies, it's clear like they're very important films. And there's like, like uh, I remember a frame in High and Low that I really like thought when I saw it, like if you could pause it right here, like take that frame out and like put it on a wall and it would be like a work of art. In this you movie, said that also about the drunken alley heroine. Yeah, scene. yeah, yeah, yeah. And like this movie, like kind of felt the same way. Like there's just so many. God, he just he's so good at like crafting like interesting and like deep, like by deep I mean like there's a lot of depth like distance wise like in his shots and mm-hmm. stuff. Like that shot when they're burning down the house. Like yeah. First of all, it looks like they're, they're like close up of the guy's well, face. They're like actually in a street, like burning down a place. And there's actually people like running out and like grabbing like <laughs> stuff to add to mm-hmm. a real fire that is yeah. like, and it's just, it's, it's just crazy how complex that, that looks and how great it like shows on camera, you know? Um, God, I can't wait to like dive deeper into some of his other movies, but I didn't realize how, I had heard that that Fistful of Dollars was very inspired by this, but I didn't realize like how many Western tropes like come from Mm -hmm. like specifically just in this movie 
there's many things that I like. And I haven't even dove in that far into a Western, even the Western genre, just like some of the most popular mm. ones I've seen. And uh, like some of the big things that like immediately brought me back to like, like you're watching a Western was like when the gang, like at the beginning is kind of walking down the street, you know, and the old guys kind of letting uh samurai like in on like who people are and stuff. And there's literally, you know, everyone's mm-hmm. off the street. Everyone's like in their doors with all the, you know, all their doors locked and they're peeking through blinds and stuff. And I, that's a Western trope that you see in Western movies too, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was just interesting to see like those in this completely different setting, but Same like how, way. right. But Same how clearly movies. they've evolved from that. It's just, it's, it's always cool yeah. to see that you're like, Oh my God. Like I, I've seen that so many times that this is where it came from. That's so cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even like that, the final shootout quote right. unquote shootout, uh, at the end of this movie where it's just like really slow, just slowly walking towards yeah. each other and, and just, you know, going from those wide shot, incredible wide shots to the close ups, and then how quickly it all unravels mm-hmm. and how, you know, Normally it would be they draw their guns and two shots right. and the whole, you know, the movie's over. Um, but yeah. Uh, I do a yeah, scene like, shout out. Um, yeah. I think my favorite scene was uh, when he, when he kills the six people that are guarding the woman in the house outside of town um, mm-hmm. and uh, saves that family and then also goes back in just to like absolutely wreck the whole house and like the beans pouring down from the ceiling. Like it's just so visually um, like well staged and thought out. That scene was really great. Mm -hmm. And I love how like, that's my favorite scene too. Easily. Yeah. I love, I love how he like goes in there and takes everyone out with such precision. And then he has to go back in and as as if crappy fighters were there as if, Uh yeah. As if, you know, someone less experienced, came in there and you know i think that complements back or you know that goes hand in hand with what nick was saying about just like how how much thought is put into like everything in the movie and i think my two Mm -hmm. favorite things about the movie that were really surprising just stood out to me a or the first thing was the gore i couldn't believe that this movie was like gory it's like what when is this movie (laughs) at times when did this come out yeah Mm -hmm. and like how they kind of had to film it creatively like when the guy's like laying on the ground bleeding out, like it's a dark ground, you know? And so it, they had to like, I don't know if they put like a light in a certain spot or if they filmed at the right angle so that you could see that there's blood coming out of him, but you know, blood, you wouldn't be able mm-hmm. to normally just see it on a dark ground if it's black and white. So they made sure the blood was reflecting off the sun or the moon or whatever, you know, whatever they put mm-hmm. there. So you could see all the blood trickling they out. Made and I just, sure there was a flood of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It pours out. So but the other fun. thing that I really liked, and this is this this is story wise, is just how like it's just such a satisfying way for the story to progress, which is he's you know, from my perspective, I thought he was just trying to get the most money out of these people that he put him you know, he didn't even he was not even worried about what they were gonna do to him at all. And he, he like knows mm. he's like intellectually so much smarter than them and he's so much more powerful than them. They have no chance. And he's like playing them, getting that money is just like going up, 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 up. 
And then in the end, they kind of outsmart him. Well, not in the very end, but, you know, they kind of turn it on his head and they do get the best Mm -hmm. of him. And um, it was just such a satisfying way for that story to go because it's like, you know, you're kind of on his side because you're like, yeah, these guys are, you know, they're all criminals. So you're like, yeah, get as much money Mm -hmm. as you can out of him. But, you know, as he's like making their lives worse and worse and worse, and then it gets to a point where they kind of just turn it on him. And you're like, hey, I mean, you kind of had it coming. Like, you kind of feel good for them for half a minute there. And it's just mm-hmm. a, I was really happy with how they, how that story progressed and how complex it was and that it wasn't like a simple solution or anything. Like they, mm-hmm. they yeah, yeah, it was just, it was cool. I love how this movie opens. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I just love the opening of this movie and the ending of this movie. How like, I mean, first of all, he's just like walking down There's a road a or, a, you know, and then he's like comes to a three way split and he just throws a stick in the air. And that's the way I'm going. That's like how he kind of comes, comes along Very, like, onto fairy this tale ad- kind of adventure. Like, yeah. Keeps like, moving he, along. Town you know, town. just random chance. Yeah. And then like, so also I, I will say that there is a sequel to this movie. So uh, it's called Sanjuro, uh, which is kind of in the, a similar vein to um, the uh, dollars or, or in a similar vein to the man with no name in that it's just like this guy who goes from place to place, wanders from place to place, getting oh, into Kurosawa adventures too? and, you know, unrelated. Yeah. Kurosawa. Literally Kurosawa. a sequel. Um, yeah. It's a sequel called Sanjuro. Yeah, if you look at uh, Lairbox, it has a very similar color uh, cover. I mean, yeah, it's like the color, the covers mm-hmm. look very, very identical. Is there a trilogy? Yeah. Just two. Okay. No. Um, at least not one that okay. Kurosawa directed. Um, but yeah, so then like, Anyways, back to what I was saying. So he goes down this road and he, he happens upon this like this uh, story uh, where it's, you know, this this young kid who uh, tells his parents that he doesn't want to do the work and he wants to go into town and, and join this gang and fight with these these guys. And then like the end of the movie, you know, he goes <clears throat> um, the uh, Toshiro Mifune goes back into town and you know, they have that last standoff where he kills everyone. And then that same kid is there and he tells that he, I think he what kicks him in and, and uh, tells him to run home to his, his mom or something or go home to his mom. Yeah. Cause he screams um, mommy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, so then, and then he's like, all right, <laughs> my work here is done. And he's just like, he's just out <laughs> like, I don't know. I just love that idea of just he he just comes in, kills everyone in the town, and then he's just all right. Now this town is is safe. Now this There's town is two is good. people left in the whole town. <laughs> yeah, and then he just bounces. Uh, yeah, it's just it's so cool. Good pick. Good pick. Yeah, um, great pick, yeah. Sean. Uh, love it. Um, yeah. Uh, Thank thanks for uh, thanks for sharing that piece of film history and a great movie. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think we need to wrap up the episode. Uh, we've been going long enough. And uh, real quick, I want to tell the audience and go over with you guys what we're going to do for the next episode. Um, yeah. 
So instead of each one of us making a pick like we have been doing the last three or four months, um, we're going to keep that alive on some degree. We're going to start a new segment called Film Club, where every month going forward, each one of us one at a time is going to pick a movie. So we'll rotate month to month to month. So uh, presumably if we keep it going, if we keep this going like every year, each of us would get three picks. Like it would be uh, every, we would take turns and uh, just do different picks. And it could be a movie of, of any time, any time period. But um, for the bulk of the episode next month, we're going to do uh, we're going to go back to 2020 movies. So we're going to bring back a preview section at the end of the episode and uh, each one of us is going to uh, do a little bit of research and figure out a movie that's going to be available to watch f- for anyone in 2020. And um, it could be a movie that we've already talked about, or it could be a movie that came out months and months ago. It could be any movie, but I know personally, I have like a long list of indies that like, or smaller movies or whatever movies I might've missed that. Like I just haven't gone around to watch again. This is kind of a way to give ourselves a little motivation to, uh, to, to, to start going back to 2020 movies because it certainly seems like this uh, pandemic is going to keep going and who knows when we're going to be able to actually get into the movie theater. So um, first of all, yeah, let's go around and each of us uh, has a pick for, for what movie they're going to watch for which 2020 movie. Also, I I guess it should be said that we're not forcing each other to watch the 2020 movie, but if it's, if it's your pick, then you do have to watch it and it is encouraged to watch uh, everyone else's 2020 movie, sure, but we'll it's not, get it's around not, to it. Yeah. it's not required. So, um, Sean, uh, what's, uh, what movie are you going to watch, uh, from 2020? Um, I'm going to watch weathering with you. Um, I know it's not, it, it actually came out in 2019. Brandon, Brandon watched it in December, I believe. Um, but yeah, it's it's been extremely difficult to uh, actually watch this movie, and I'm I'm not even sure, 100% sure it's going to be out by next month. But it's supposed to be out on Amazon on uh, August 4th. It looks. So I, I looked hope, it up too. And I think that looks pretty definite. It should be available to stream. Okay, cool. It, you might have to pay for it, but yeah, okay, why cool. are you excited about this movie, yeah. Sean? Um, so this is from the same director as uh, so it's a it's an anime uh, Japanese anime <clears throat> from the director of uh, Your Name, which I really loved. Um, it's Makoto, Makoto uh, Shin, Shinkai Makoto Shinkai uh, is director, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, I just really liked. Um, your name and uh, I've heard a lot of really good things about this movie and I'm really excited to see it and really excited to finally be able to see yeah. it. So I, th- I yeah. think that definitely counts as a 2020 movie because I remember it coming to Washington in March and it was only available at a small independent theater in Bainbridge Island. Oh, that's right. And, I remember uh, that. <laughs> and so. uh, I don't think it ever really came to Seattle. So like, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of like, Hey, it, yeah, for us, it's 2020 because we don't live in New York or LA. It wasn't or available, Japan. and uh, yeah, yeah, we're Japan, mm-hmm. and so uh, hey, we we finally got a chance to watch it in 2020. So Good pick. Yeah. Uh, great, great pick, Sean. Uh, Brandon, what about you? Yeah, I'll I'll even rewatch that again too, Sean. But uh, so the movie I'm picking, cool. which um, is also a foreign film, uh, it's Chilean. This director Pablo Lorraine, she did one of my favorite films several years back called Victoria, and I've seen a couple others of his. He has a really great style. He's he directed really, Victoria. 
Yes. Brandon, that's like the Victoria accurate. that me and you like? I don't think that's right, Brandon. What? I don't think you directed Victoria. Oh, wrong title. Um, Jackie. Uh, <laughs> different different Jackie. female <laughs> single name, first name title. Um, yeah. I, I knew the movie in my head. I just said the wrong name. Um, yeah. He directed the American film Jackie, but he's a Chilean director. He now put out his new Chilean film called Emma, which looks really great, has great reviews. And I believe it came out streaming in June, though, Nick, you're kind of scaring me now. You're saying it might not be. Maybe they retracted it. I'll look it up, but I'll think of a backup if it's actually not out. The thing is, like, I I don't know if I should say this on air. But I have, (laughs) like, I have a pirated copy. (laughs) I have a pirated copy of this movie. So, like, I think it came out and I was able to, like, find a copy of it. But like, I don't know if it's actually like available. Available. It's out in the UK. Doesn't look like it's available. I literally was gonna stream it with friends in June in Fire Island, and we ended up not doing it. But I researched it and remembered knowing it was coming out. But anyways, I'll think of something else later if it's not, or we can use your pirated copy. (laughs) But uh, yeah. Um. Cool. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I hope it's available. Um, I feel like you should find a backup if it's not, uh, you know, uh, just for the home, the viewer, the listeners at home, you know, so they could uh, listen along. It looks like it's on Mubi. Oh, Mubi. Okay, Mubi. cool. Um, yeah. Get a, free, get a free trial for Mubi. Um, and you yeah. can watch it. Um, okay, Derek, what about you? Okay, I'm going to choose a kind of random movie. But it's getting good reviews, and I'll probably watch it regardless. So uh, maybe we could all watch it. It's a horror movie uh, called Relic. I've been seeing a lot of like videos online and stuff about it. It's directed by Natalie Erica James. Doesn't look like she has anything of note that I've heard of before. But it's getting uh, really good reviews, and it's available to stream. And it's probably a movie that would have been in theaters. Was there not nice. a pandemic? So let's let's watch it. Yeah, yeah, I think this movie was playing at a bunch of drive-ins uh, oh, for, okay. for a little while yeah. uh, because it was supposed to be released in theaters, but I think it was yeah. one of those. Uh, but, yeah, sweet, Derek. Good pick. Um, I have definitely, yeah, good reviews. I had a friend who watched it who he's a, he's a pretty tough uh, tough star giver on Letterboxd, and he gave yeah. him four stars. So nice. um, It looks like it's available pretty much anywhere. You rent movies, so. Thanks. Cool. So um, I I picked uh, First Cow, which is the new Kelly Reinhardt movie. Mm-hmm. Um, she's uh, known for making uh, small independent movies that are really quiet, where not a lot happens, and um, uh, characters are just kind of sad. But maybe they, uh, you know, uh, uh, do something of importance. Um, she did uh, Wendy and Lucy, which was a uh, that that's a, like my favorite uh, Kelly Reinhardt movie. Um, she actually did a movie that Sean worked on, um, which uh, which was more of her one of her more action packed movies. That one actually had a little bit of a oh. plot. But um, anyway, I, I I'm, I've been really excited about First Cow. This is getting great reviews. Um, it's supposed to be one of her best movies. Um, I literally was like making plans to go see it at a movie theater, and then the movie theaters got shut down the next the next week. So, um, right I just, I just, 
Yeah, it was it was supposed to come out in March, and then uh, this month it came out on Amazon where you could buy it, and now starting in August you can uh, buy it and stream it. So um, I'm nice. gonna rent it. I mean, you can buy it or rent it, and so I'm I'll rent it uh, this month, and uh, I, I'm really excited about it. So it's called First Cow. It's supposed to be a really nice movie. Cool. So. Um, uh, just to go over our film club segment, uh, the, the, our first member who's going to do the first pick is going to be Sean. So, Sean, uh, what what is going to be the movie that we are forced to watch from history over the the, the month of August? Oh man, I I don't know if I I've decided yet. Um, you have to. I'm. I know I have to. Uh, do I want to go along with the theme that I've been doing? So far, yes. or do I want to? His theme, his theme has been directors or been themes doing. that he's personally um, worked on. Yeah, no, I, I'll, I think I'll go along with my theme. Um, my movie is going to be um, <clears throat> The Trouble with Harry. Wow. Oh, interesting choice, Sean. Nice. Alfred Hitchcock's The Trouble with Harry. Mm. Cool. Um, uh. It is a bizarre gallows humor comedy uh directed by alfred hitchcock about a small new england town um, where someone in the town is murdered and just about everyone in the town has a reason to think that they're the one who murdered this guy and so everyone in town is trying to cover up this murder without knowing that everyone else also thinks that they <laughs> murdered him. Mm. All right. That sounds great. <laughs> great. Uh, I, yeah. I, yeah. You told me about this movie years ago and I put my watch list and I've been very excited to watch it. Mm-hmm. So great, great picture. I'm yeah. really excited about that. It's a very different, bizarre Alfred Hitchcock film. So sweet. Far out. Well, cool. Um, I mean, I think that wraps it up for our next episode. So uh, again, next episode, we're going to be talking about 2020 movies and the trouble with Harry. So, uh, you know, uh, thanks for listening to us and talk about movies. And, uh, you know, I hope that all of you are doing well and, uh, have some movies to watch. So, uh, take it easy. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.